All right, good morning. What an exciting day. You know, I was, as I was watching the, uh, that great video, Bill, that was a great clip. Did you notice the choir members? It was probably their senior adult group. But I saw a few young'uns in there too. That, that was First Baptist Church of Dallas. First Baptist Dallas, all right. Well, it was great. I thought that was a very, very special introduction to this morning. Uh, please all turn to John chapter 2. Right now I'm kind of missing uh, two other fellow shofar blowers that were supposed to be here this morning. Uh, Bill and Mary Ann's grandsons, uh, they had no lip last night. They'd <laughs> and uh, you've heard them before, they both have come. The three of us have blown the shofar together. The three R's. The Reese, three R's. Reese, Ross, and Roof. Reese, Ross, and Roof. And by the, time, by the time we went to the Baylor game, the first half, all our lip was gone. Oh my, okay. <laughs> all right. John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have drunk well, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Let's pray. Lord, this is a great passage of Scripture. I pray that you would enlarge our understanding this morning. You'd open our eyes to be able to see you in new ways, to see your greatness and your power, and not only exclusively within you, but Lord, it's now been given to us. You have empowered us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that this morning could have a lasting effect on each of our lives. I pray that the ministry of your word 
would not merely bear fruit. It would bear fruit that remains. And Lord, as I blow the shofar again this morning, calling on you to sharpen our ability to recognize your voice above all human voices. Because we're longing to have you speak to us this morning that we may hear from your heart right to ours. Lord, we're approaching the high holy days, the feasts of the Lord, not just Jewish feasts, beginning of a new year, biblically, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, following that Sukkot. Lord, this is a glorious time of year, but it's a time right now, in the time and month of Elul, Lord, that people are preparing their hearts all around the world searching their hearts. And Lord, take your liberty among us today. Search us. Try us. See if there be any wicked way in us, just as David prayed. And allow us the grace to yield to your power that we might become more like you. Amen. All right, it starts out on the third day, the third day. Well, it probably means the third day after calling Philip and Nathaniel in the verses above in chapter 1. Cana was near Nazareth. It's only about five miles. And we also find that Jesus' mother was there. In fact, the whole chapter starts out talking about her. <laughs> Excuse me. I think it's interesting that John never mentions Mary's name or his own name throughout his entire gospel. Not once. And John's recording of Jesus' first miracle was actually a private display of God's power working through Jesus. And those who really noticed his first miracle were probably only his disciples, the head waiter, some of the servants, and his mother. And since Jesus was invited along with his disciples, it must have been a wedding where he and his disciples were known either to the bride or to the groom or to both of them. So what do you think Mary's role was in the wedding, especially since she was featured as the first verse? You know, if she was just a normal invited guest, she could sit back and enjoy all the festivities. But that's not the case with Mary. She was involved in this wedding. And she knew the details of the wedding. Now it seems quite likely that this wedding was for a family member of Mary's. If it was perhaps one of Jesus' sisters that was getting married, it wouldn't be held in Cana, it'd be held in Nazareth, where they grew up. But this was held in Cana. 
And since it was held there, it's likely that it could have been one of Jesus' brothers, and he had a number of them that are mentioned throughout the scriptures. One of his brothers, it may have been the second born, but maybe the first wedding within the family. That's a big deal. And he's marrying a girl from Cana, so that's why the wedding's being held there. Now whether Mary was a mother of a close relative or to someone of those that were being married, she took an active role in this wedding. So running out of, wed uh, out of wine at this wedding was a real concern of hers, and Jesus recognized this. Look at verse 4. Jesus addressed his mother with a respectful term, woman. What does your concern have to do with me? Now, even though it was her concern, it wasn't his. But look at what Jesus does. He takes on her concern. And he works a miracle for this bridal couple and their relatives to save face. Jesus cared for his mother's reputation and that of other relatives. And isn't that just like Jesus? Isn't that just like him? Sometimes our concerns aren't really that serious to him. We care, and then he cares. It bothers, and because it bothers us, what does Jesus do? He steps right into the situation. I see that so clearly in the gospel of both Matthew and Luke chapters 8. When Jesus and his disciples were in a boat in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. You're familiar with this story. All of a sudden, a raging storm emerges. And in the midst of the raging waves, Jesus is sound asleep. Sound asleep. In the boat. But as he was sleeping, his disciples were terrified because of the raging waves. And in desperation, what happened? The disciples come and wake Jesus up. Saying, Master, we're perishing. And what did Jesus do? <sighs> oh, okay. He gets up, he rebukes the storm and the waves for their sake, not his. He stepped right in. And then they became afraid and terrified all over again when they saw power flow through him to rebuke wind and waves. For their sake, not for his. Friends, I want you to hear this today. Because we care about things, Jesus cares. Okay, back to the wedding. Jesus said in verse 4, My hour has not yet come. John records Jesus saying this five different times in his gospel. Well, why did he say this? Well, because Jesus knew it was not his time to be revealed as the Messiah in Israel. And here, he was admitting to his mother that he knew his identity, he knew his role, and he also knew the timing of his identity. And it wasn't then when she asked him or made that statement, they're running out of wine. 
But you know, however, it became his time shortly thereafter. Verse 5. This is a powerful statement that Mary said to the servants. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Mary's exhortation to the servants that day, it's still valid for us today. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Do it. Don't hesitate. Don't refuse. Don't have resistance. Do it. Do it. And do it now. Well, let's apply this word personally today. Are you doing all that the Lord has told or prompted you to do in this season of your life? Is there something He's told you to do and and you're hesitating or you're resisting or you, you don't want to hear it? And there's a resistance to obedience to what He said in that word or that prompting. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Really good scripture for us in this message and for today. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 1 through 3. And working together with Him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at a favorable time, I listened to you. And on a day of visitation, I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Giving no reason for taking offense in anything. So that the ministry will not be discredited. Friends, if we continue to go our own way, obeying our own choices, our own desires, we step right out of God's sovereign blessing into our lives. Why? Because really He's no longer in charge when it's my will being done. We're in charge. And too easily we can become Lord of our own lives by doing what we want rather than what He wants. So listen again to this exhortation. Whatever He tells you and me to do, do it. Look at verses 6 through 9 in our story. Here we find the six water pots of stone. Jesus says to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. What's beautiful about this is that the miracle only happened after the servants obeyed what Jesus told them to do. How wonderful. They did what he told them to do just like Mary told them. And a miracle happened. Their obedience was the seedbed for the miraculous. Hmm. Then came the miracle. 
And what a miracle as the first sign of Jesus being the long-awaited Messiah. He turned ordinary water into fabulous wine that was honoring both to the couple and to all the guests that were there. Friends, this is what happens when we obey what the Lord has told us to do and we do it. That which is ordinary becomes special and honored and blessed. And we open the door to the Lord's miraculous. Verse 10. It mentions the good wine. In fact, it was the best wine after it passed the test with the head waiter. Now, when did the best wine come out? At the last? At the end? No. Look at what it says. The head waiter said, but you have saved the best wine for now. For now. God doesn't want to give us his best just before we die or have reached the end of our life. It wasn't time of dismissal. Everybody go home and now we have the good wine. No. He saved the best for now in your life, if you can believe it. His best is reserved for the now because we serve a God of the now. I like what author Jim Dennison says from Dallas. He, he said, every act of obedience today bears significance forever. Every act of obedience today, it bears an eternal significance. So our challenge today is, will we put his word that he's spoken to us, or that he is speaking to us, will we do it and put it into action? The Lord has saved his best for us till now if we will just do what he tells us to do. I know I'm harping on this, but I feel the Spirit is. God wants to not only get our attention, he wants to get our will. We have to choose to do it. Choose. Now is a word for the present, not the past nor the future. As I said, God is the God of the present. I love his response to Moses when Moses said, Who do I tell them sent me? I am that I am. That's all present. I am right now. And it's all about the now in your and my life. Choose this day. Choose right now. The path of obedience. If we wait till tomorrow, we can miss it easily. And we've done that, all of us. So our challenge this morning is this. Will we put his word into action? Will we obey what he's told us to do? Now that most of us in this room are prime timers, of course, I just figured out why we have so few of the young adults, because there's about a dozen of them that are in the young adults ABF because Carl is sharing this morning. Carl said, I wish I could be there, but I'm preaching. <laughs> so that's where they are. 
But most of us here, our prime time, we're, we're a bit older. And let me say this. We can move from success in this life to significance in the life which is to come. We can bear fruit that is lasting through investing our lives into others through making disciples. And there's a great treasure inside of each one of you. Each one. A treasure of wisdom, of knowledge, of experience, of counsel, of insight. My exhortation to you today is do not take your treasure to the grave. Most people do. They take the treasure that God has given them right into the heart of the earth. Whereas it could have been sown and given away into the hearts of men and women that would appreciate it and learn from our mistakes and experience the kingdom in greater ways because they have us to tap into. Give it away. Give it away while you're still alive. Don't let your treasure go into the heart of the earth in a casket. Share your treasure into the hearts of men and women that want to glean, they want to glean from your life experiences. As prime timers, we can pray and intercede to really move God's heart and hand. We have more time to pray because we're not working full time. But you know, our schedules still get full even though we're not working. But you know, it's come down to this. Can you believe that God has his best wine for you right now? Will you obey what the Lord tells you to do? Janet had said, Tuesdays, we start back up the Sermon on the Mount. Young adults love it. Lord just told us, listen, I want to see an integration. I want to see an intergenerational mixture of the young and the senior. And those young adults that come on Tuesday nights love being with other grandparents that are back wherever they came from at Baylor. They just love being with older people. Yes, they do. And those of us that are prime time, we love being with them. There's something special that transpires when we are intergenerational. That's church. We start this Tuesday night at 6.30 going through the Sermon on the Mount and how ideally perfect that our lead pastor is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount at the start of this semester. So what are we going to do? Go into the Sermon on the Mount this semester. Tuesday evenings, 6.30 to about 8 or 8.30. You're all welcome. Come and share your treasure. Because there are people that will benefit eternally. All right, let's go to verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. It's interesting that John 
did not use the word miracle. He used the word sign. And this Greek word also means a wonder, a power, or a strange event. A sign informs you of what is ahead or what's coming up soon. And the signs in John's Gospel pointed to Jesus being the Messiah and the Son of God. And the significance of this sign, this miracle, was explained by John as a manifestation of Christ's glory, which resulted in a greater release of faith in the lives of the disciples. So this first sign, this first miracle, had three great things that took place. First, obedience to the Word brought great reward. Second, there was a manifestation of God's glory. And third, there was an increase, a stretching, a greater place of faith in the lives of the disciples and his mother when they saw this take place. Verses 12 and 13, they say, After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there a few days. You know how I see this? They needed a rest after that wedding. How many of you have had children get married? And the next day, you are wiped out. And I think it's wonderful that a whole lot of the family went. The mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they needed a break for a few days. And then Jesus left for Jerusalem because the feast of the Passover was near. Well, let me wrap this up today. I've got to go back to Mary's exhortation. Whatever, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Obedience to Jesus, who is the eternal Word of God, is the evidence that He is ruling and He is reigning in my life because I obey Him. And that is what abundant life is all about. Remember, every act of obedience today, today, bears significance forever. And lastly, let me just say that we should never expect our obedience to be easy or to come naturally. Jesus learned obedience not through his enjoyable moments, nor through his mountaintop encounters with the Father. No, his obedience was challenged in his difficult moments, in his trying times, and in his painful situations. Hebrews 5.8 goes so far as to say that Jesus was taught, was challenged, and he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. He alone is our perfect model of a life that is continually pleasing to our Father in heaven. 
So whatever he tells you to do, do it. Father, we want to thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Lord, thank you for this first sign. It still has a lasting effect. Lord, these words are as alive today as they were when they were first spoken. And Lord, we're thankful for the obedience of these servants. Thank you, thank you that when Jesus said, I want you to fill up all these pots. Lord, the wedding was already underway. I want you to fill them all up, all six of them. 120 up to 150 gallons of water. They filled them all up to the brim. Oh God, what a sign. Your power was released in such a way that brought immense blessing. Not only to everyone at the wedding feast, but Lord, the wedding couple had all that left over. So Lord, you want simple obedience from each of us who were called by your name. So Lord, we just say, continue to speak, Lord. And if there's something that we haven't done that you want us to do, remind us, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will remind you of what I have spoken to you. So right now, Holy Spirit, have your way. Search our hearts. See if there be any hurtful way in us. And show us the path to more of Jesus' likeness. To the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got about 10 minutes. How about if we have some times of sharing? Uh, around our tables. You might start with, what did the Lord say to you this morning? Uh, I wish we had this opportunity to do it every Sunday morning after Pastor John's messages. I wish the whole church would just stay there for about an hour and share, what did the Lord say to you right now when it's fresh? So what did the Lord say to you? And or what did the Lord say to you in this chapter throughout the week as you read it? We'll have about uh, 10, 10 minutes and then I'll come back.